This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm all right, mate. We got to the end. We got to match day 14 in La Liga and we had a weekend off. I was introduced to a, a, a new concept this weekend. The, the weekend is a, is a thing I didn't know about. <laughs> what is this strange sorcery? It did feel a little bit weird. Um, certainly was a bit strange for me not having to go up to Barcelona and spend 25 hours in a airless dark studio uh which was you know it was good love my job but it was quite nice to have a <laughs> to have a weekend off uh, there was some there was some football of course uh, because there was a copa del rey but we didn't watch much of it we'll be honest with you patrons we did not uh, we're listeners we did not watch much of it but anyway speaking of patrons la liga may be on a break but the content will keep coming for patrons over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, we're going to have a, a Q&A pod out on Tuesday answering your questions, a bonus pod on Friday to discuss Spain and the World Cup. And if you haven't listened already, there's a free clip of our latest TSFP Presents Top Fives episode where we pick our five favourite La Liga captains right here on the Monday podcast feed. Get involved, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's uh, around about four euros, dollars, pounds a month and uh, should keep you going uh, throughout the World Cup. As we said, there's no La Liga, but there is the World Cup for us to focus on. We're going to keep the free podcasts going. We'll probably do them on a Monday, but obviously Sydney's going to Qatar and, and we've got stuff going on as well. So uh, they might not be on a Monday, but we'll try to. We'll try to maintain the regularity and, and keep at least one free podcast going uh, throughout the World Cup. As we said, Sid, it was the Copa del Rey first round. There were 55 games played <laughs> this weekend, of which um, you might have seen a combined 55 minutes. I don't know, maybe less. <laughs> Not that far off, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there um, were... I, I'm, I'm just delighted. I, mean, I don't know if denied, delighted is the word. Yeah, I think delighted is the word. That I can't remember a time when Oviedo actually won a Copa del Rey game. And, and, and Oviedo went to Cantabria, to, to Torre la Vega, and, and won a Copa del Rey game. And the reason I say this is because there's been something from a... And, and I wonder if this is... I, I, the reason I say this and, and kind of go off on a, on a sort of personal tangent at the very start is that I suspect this is actually something that is the way that a lot of fans feel about the Copa del Rey. I suspect, but let's see if it is or not. One of the things that's been really frustrating for me over the last few years is it's not just felt like oh, yeah, they haven't been able to win any Copa del Rey games. It's kind of felt like no one cares. And it's kind of felt like there's been no sense of this matters in the slightest. You go and play someone. Last year, I think it was Anthrax in, in, in Mallorca. You lose and you just kind of carry on with the, with the dr- drudgery of league games. Now, the reason why I say this kind of annoys me is because I'm not asking Oviedo to try and win the Copa del Rey. We know they're not going to win it. I'm not even asking them to go on a great run. We know that's not going to happen. 
But I'd quite like the chance to play a big team once in a while. I'd quite like the chance to feel like you're sort of part of it, to maybe put two or three games together. I think it's a complete myth as well, this idea that, oh, we better not do the cup because it might damage the league. I think you actually benefit from a good cup run if you're a smaller club, if you're a second division team or even a Primera Ref team. I think, there's a, I think, I think it's really short-sighted from a lot of clubs, this idea that, ah, oh, we just don't do it. No, you do do it. Because it, it can be good, and that's what football's supposed to be there for. We're supposed to actually be allowed to go and enjoy some games. Self-indulgent Sydney monologue to kick off the, the, the podcast. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, mean, look, if you I wasn't going to top line. I wasn't going to top line with Oviedo, but we, we started no, no, it, so. and, and as I say, it's not about Oviedo. This is sort of what yes. my, my point. It's, it's about Oviedo or, I don't know, or Sporting or... Or mm. Faragotha or something. Yeah. It's about the chance to, you know, you never know. You might get lucky. You might play Real Madrid yes. or Barcelona. That said, it is true that for a second division team, yes. some of the romance is taken out of it by the way that the draw is directed in such a way hmm. that if you're a second division team, you know you're not getting the biggest clubs. Yes. Because they're reserved for the smallest ones. That's true. That's true. Um, but there we go. Um, they did actually win a game, uh, Ray Loviodo, much to, much to Sydney's uh, delight. Uh, it was teams from the Primera División, so first division teams, all the way down to Preferente involved, which is uh, pff, essentially the sixth division, but it's, it's... Put it this way, put it this way. When I lived in Oviedo, I only played one division away from Preferente. Yes. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. There was, there was no Real Madrid, Barca, Betis or Valencia because they're playing in the Supercopa uh, in uh, in January. Um, and there was no Racing Santander because they start in the second round because they won the Primera Ref. There we go. Important detail. Uh, but there were some, some, some very big sides involved, i.e. Uh, <laughs> Atletico Madrid were playing and, and Sevilla were playing and Villarreal were playing. One of the biggest upsets was Cadiz who lost 3-2 at Real Union, who are currently bottom of their group in the Primera Federación. Um, another big one, the other uh, Primera División side that were knocked out, were Almeria, who lost 2-0 at Arenteiro of the Segunda Federación. Uh, so that's like the fifth division. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, they are big, they are big shocks. They are big they shocks. Are big shocks. Um, Real, Real Union, um, some of our older listeners might actually remember them because they knocked out Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey in 2008-2009. I thought you were going to say some of our older listeners might remember them winning the, the Copa del Rey in 1919. <laughs> they are also, by the way, part owned by Unai Emery. Oh. Um, for, for, those, for those who don't know this, because Unai Emery's dad and granddad were footballers. His grandfather was a goalkeeper who conceded the first ever goal in La Liga in 1929 playing for Real Union. So this is this is Unai Emery's team. They the, one of the reasons why I remember them beating um, Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey is because I was actually reminded of it of it with a piece I wrote recently. It was one of the pieces I've most enjoyed doing for obvious reasons. Uh, a guy called Thuaif Guruchaga played for Real Union back then. They were a Segunda B team in what was the old structure of the league, and they knocked out Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey. And the reason why why this was on a piece I most enjoyed doing is because Thuaif is now a stand up comedian. And this is this is one of the things that's that's in his stand-up comedian routine. It's really really a lot of fun. But Real Union are a, a kind of a historic side, and these are two big shocks. But I suppose if I'm going to be cynical about this, or or if I'm going to be kind of realistic, I suppose about it, if there are a couple of first division teams that fall out of the Copa del Rey without anyone really noticing, perhaps perhaps Almeria and Cadiz are, are quite high on that list. 
Yeah, perhaps, but I think it's you know quite embarrassing for those two sets oh, of is. fans, and, and, and yeah. they would not be happy about uh, that happening. Uh, some other surprises: Arenas de Getxo, also the uh, Segunda Federación, beat Lugo, Guadalajara beat Ponferradina, and Guernica beat Leganés six five on penalties. Yeah. Uh, some of the results involving teams from the Primera Español won three 0 at CD Rincón, uh, despite Danny Gómez uh, getting sent Rincón off. In... <laughs> uh, Danny Gómez got sent off in the first half for pushing the ref not, not a good look uh, Villarreal won 9-0 at Santa Amalia so Kike Setien getting a, a big win under his belt there although Santa Amalia this is the great thing about the Copa del Rey I mean I know Spain pretty well I'm pretty obsessed with geography and maps and looking yeah. at little towns and I could name all 50 of Spain's provinces and I'm, I'm, I'm big on that kind of stuff and the Copa del Rey use here teams from towns and villages that you've got no idea yeah, uh, where they are when where they're no, from no. Absolutely. And, and, you know, to add to your, your obsession with maps and towns, you, you then add to my obsession with watching quite low level football. Yes. And there are a lot of teams genuinely that I yeah. haven't heard of. There are a lot of teams that go, yeah. I, I don't know who that is. Uh, Atletico Madrid beat Almazan. 2-0, Almazan are from a, a small village of, I think it's 5,000 people uh, in the province of, of Soria, uh, to the north of, uh, of, of Madrid. And uh, Angel Correa and João Felix with the goals. They they played a really strong side, Atletico Madrid, like literally a ridiculously strong side. It was basically a first choice team. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, it was, you know, Oblak in goal, um, Savic and uh, Mario Hermoso were the centre backs. Reynildo played at left back. Uh, Molina played at right back. You had uh, Griezmann and João Felix playing. I mean, it was as strong a team as they could have fielded. Incredible. Yeah. At this point, of course, I hold up my hands and say, I was wrong. I didn't anticipate this. Admittedly, they're, I think, the only team who, who went quite this far. Um, we talked about this after the final round of games on the Thursday. It's only two or three days difference, but we, you know, I was conscious that it felt like La Liga and the Federation, maybe not always as entirely deliberately as you would like, because those two don't get on particularly well, had at least kind of carved out a, a few days for the World Cup players. And for example, seeing the results come into the Premier League this weekend, you're thinking, wow, imagine if someone gets injured now. Six days, or by the time of Sunday, five days away from the start of the World Cup. And you think, you know, the, the, you know at least La Liga, within a, an incredibly packed schedule, had somehow managed to carve themselves out a few days. Although I suppose there's an argument that said you shouldn't have played that midweek round of games, should have tried to get away the weekend before. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I say that is because we didn't anticipate any of the World Cup players playing uh, this weekend in this weekend's Copa del Rey games, or at least didn't anticipate many of them doing it. I feel like, and this is interpretive, I'm not going to claim that this is based on someone having said this to me, I feel like this was a way of Diego Simeone effectively imposing his authority, mm. a way of him effectively saying, we don't piss around here. You know, we, we, There's been enough of that already. And so you lot want to prepare for the World Cup, play this game. And and obviously, I think in a way, he probably felt he had to do that. Had someone got injured, I think it could have rebounded in terms of the, the, the sort of the attitude towards him. Fortunately for them, it didn't happen. Fortunately for them, they didn't get beaten. Um, and so I suppose ultimately it doesn't matter. But I, I was really struck by that lineup. And I did feel like that felt like a, a lineup from a coach kind of trying to make a point as, as much as trying to win a football match. Eight of the starting 11 are going to the World Cup. Eight. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. a, it was, it was a seriously strong uh, starting uh, 11. Um, elsewhere, Sevilla beat Velarde 2-0. A 
Not but a didn't play well at all. Not a good Did. performance from Sevilla, and the, um, no. the 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 second goal came in 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 injury time, and they played an incredibly strong team as well. I mean, this could have been a a, a La Liga starting eleven: Dimitrovic, Montiel, Nianzu, Gudeli, Kike Salas, Rakitic, Juan Jordan, Oliver Torres, Isco, and Nasiri and Suso. That's a that's a first choice starting eleven from Sevilla, and they it weren't is. good at all. Although although Suso, Jordan, uh, the free Spaniards you mentioned, Oliver Torres aren't going to the World Cup. No, they're but not. yes, they're it's not. still a very no. strong side. Yeah, well, I mean, no, neither. Yeah. neither yeah. I mean, but then, of course, they're of another team that are sort yeah. of in need a little bit, aren't they? Yes. Um, and that I think there's a sense of looking beyond this and, and what happens next, and, and how you impose kind of certain ideas on players. Severe, I think. The other thing about having this month break now is, of course, you have a month break. And it takes you a month closer to the transfer window. Now, that might sound like a stating the bleeding obvious, but I think it's quite significant for a club like Sevilla, who are struggling so badly now, that you basically now only have one more game before you can start adding to that squad. Whereas had they continued to play normally, you'd have had at least four more games before you start adding to that squad. When you're in the relegation zone and you're a club like Sevilla, if you have those four more games and you can't add to the squad and you continue to... um, fall apart, disintegrate the way that Sevilla are at the moment. Mm. Those four games could be, that's it, you've gone down. Mm. Now, obviously, it's never as definitive as that. But imagine that Sevilla team goes and plays those four games and doesn't win any of them. Mm. I, think, I, think it's, I think it's actually been genuinely helpful for Sevilla within a desperate situation that they can get to that window a little bit quicker. Mm. You know, absolutely. Um, some of the other results, uh, Rayo won 3-1 at uh, Moyerusa. Uh, although it was uh, briefly uh, 1-1. Uh, Mallorca won 6-0 at Autol. La Real won 4-1 at Cazalegas. And Athletic won 2-0 at Alcira. Some Primera teams that struggled. Girona needed a goal from Christian Stuani in extra time to beat Quintanar del Rey 2-1. Celta went a goal down to Algar, but came back to win 6-1. And Getafe beat San Roque de Lepe 3-2 after extra time. I was checking uh, social media. It's... Not always the best barometer, but sometimes Getafe fans are not happy at all with Kike no. uh, Sanchez Flores. A lot of them calling for him to go. Massive, massive pressure on him. And I've got a feeling he might be the next La Liga manager to go. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, it would sort of make sense. Um, it's curious because they really embraced him last year when, of course, mm. he came in and rescued a team that hadn't won in the first eight games. Um, did it defensively, not always that pretty, but bit by bit they were starting to expand into something else. I think part of the frustration comes from, and let's go back to the very start of the season, Philip, when we talked about um, Getafe maybe being the team that would surprise us because we felt they'd signed well. Who did that? Uh, I I don't know, someone around here. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the frustration comes, that there was a sense that this team could take a, a, a step again. The other thing is that unusually for Kike Sanchez Flores, who's very bright, speaks very well, um, very likeable. He has started to sound a little bit more irritable in the mm. last few weeks. And one or two of the things he've said, he has said have sounded and felt a bit more pointed than before and pointing upstairs. And when you point upstairs, what tends to happen mm. is that a great big boot comes and whacks you on the backside. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, that's, um, that was the Copa del Rey. Well, I guess we're going to park domestic matters to one side for a bit now obviously there are uh, teams that are going to be playing friendlies and Betis were in Argentina playing a friendly against River Plate they they lost 4-0 Villarreal and Rio they're both going off to Turkey to play Fenerbahce and and, and Galatasaray there are going to be these friendly matches uh, continuing and we will be keeping our eye on them but 
I, I spoke to a few clubs about this, Phil, by the way, on, okay. on, on Thursday, because I was really interested in that idea of what now. Um, yeah. I spoke to I spoke to six <laughs> clubs on Thursday morning, yeah, um, so managers yeah. and staff, uh, and to, to just sort of say, basic, basic question, what are you doing? Yeah. And I had a couple of really interesting messages from, from a couple of managers in First Division, starting with the idea that we sort of still don't know, mm. which is that we didn't know quite how this would play out. We mm. are now arranged, in some cases, friendlies already arranged. In other cases, friendlies still trying to be arranged. Uh, one manager made a point to me, which I hadn't actually thought of. He said, the players' union... Uh, the convenio, what do you call that in English? Like a kind of labour agreement, wouldn't you? I suppose you call a convenio like a labour agreement between um, between companies and, and, and unionised labour. Hmm. Um, so the players' union convenio basically means that players have to have 10 days break hmm. um, around this. So, so what we're doing is basically starting that 10-day break now. So hmm. most players will be back on the, on the 24th of December. The World Cup players will have to have that 10-day break when they come back. Now, obviously, some players will just kind of wave it in a sort of uh, informal manner. But, of course, you then have the difficulty is you don't know when those players are going to come back because they'll come back at different stages depending on when they're knocked out. The, the clubs really don't know kind of how to manage this. And, and I was talking to one, one manager who said, we've got a couple of friendlies arranged. We're trying to get another one, but at the moment we can't find a club, but we're pretty sure we'll get something done at the, at the training ground. We've sort of sent the players away to completely forget about it. Then we'll bring them back with active rest. Then we'll try and start what will effectively be a, a mini pre-season. But that we don't know when these games are going to be scheduled. There was a nice line that, talking to a fitness coach at one of the clubs, who said, he said, look, we learned through the pandemic that actually you come up with these plans and they just fall apart. So what you have to do is kind of prepare for anything to happen and then, and then react to it. And the phrase he used was you have to be chameleonic. You have to kind of be able to, 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 to change depending on the scenario because we actually don't know what's going to happen now. Yeah. And that's before we even get into things like the, the sort of the emotional state of players coming back from World Cups. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, all right, let's move on. Like I said, let's park things domestically for a bit. We will be keeping our eyes on what the teams are, are up to, etc. But we do have to turn our attentions now to the World Cup. I say, I say almost reluctantly, but it is the, uh, is the major, major talking point isn't it Sydney that's what we're gonna to have to be talking about for the next month Absolutely. or so and you are going you are going to uh, Qatar you're going to be off uh, following Spain and Argentina and potentially some other stuff as well so uh, you'll be keeping your eyes closely on what's going on with La Roja uh, listeners to our bonus podcast on uh, on Friday would have heard Sid react in real time uh, <laughs> to the uh, announcement of the uh, Spain World Cup squad because he uh, we met up for lunch he'd heard Luis Enrique's press conference subsequent to the announcement of the World Cup squad, but not the actual World Cup squad itself. So I read it to him uh, on the podcast and we got Sydney's immediate reaction. Uh, we're just going to talk a little bit more about the about the squad. Here's a reminder for you guys, if you're not fully aware of who's going to the World Cup to represent La Roja. Uh, Unai Simon, Robert Sanchez and uh, Raya are the three goalkeepers. Then Carvajal, Azpilicueta, Eric Garcia, Guillamon, Pau Torres, Laporte, Alba and Gaia are the defenders. Busquets, Rodri, Gabi, Soler, Marcos Llorente, Pedri and Coque are the midfielders. Ferran Torres, Nico Williams, Jeremy Pino, Morata, Asensio, Sarabia, Olmo and Ansu Fati. That's the World Cup squad for Spain. Um, I've been writing about this, this this morning, about how the country is preparing for the World Cup and the distinct lack of any 
World Cup fever in this mm. country and, and why that might be. And it's, it's for many reasons, really. I think you need to, you need to almost go into the sort of socio-political context of, of Spain and understand that this is a, a nation of nations. And the national team hasn't always, or hasn't really been ever the unifying force that it is in in other countries. This has always been a country of of club before country. There was obviously that brief apex, two thousand and eight to two thousand and twelve, when they won everything and, and briefly unified uh, the country. But that is that is far off for a number of reasons. One of them being Luis Enrique, who is a polarizing and divisive figure and almost revels in that and does not give a stuff what people think about him. But I think it's fair to say, Sid, that a lot of people do not like Luis Enrique and a lot of people are finding it difficult to get behind this. I say a lot of people, a lot of Real Madrid fans are finding Mm. it difficult to get behind this Spanish national team because of Luis Enrique. Then we'll see what happens when the actual tournament comes. But remember last summer when it was the first time ever that no Real Madrid player was involved in, in a Spain squad at a major tournament for the Euros. I had... A lot of Real Madrid friends say, I'm supporting France and Karim Benzema over Spain. And Kylian Mbappé, who they thought was theirs. And Kylian Mbappé, yes, who they thought was theirs as as well. We'll see if that's just sort of blind rhetoric again when the the World Cup comes around. But I think it's interesting just to explain to, to listeners the sort of context of the atmosphere here in this country just six days before the start of the World Cup, as, as a Brazilian friend said to me, God, you, there's no, there's nothing here. You don't even know there's a World Cup on. Quite different it, to Brazil. It's true, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite odd. Um, because, I mean, normally, even even within the, the context of, of a country where there's a little bit of a divide around it, maybe not a huge amount of noise, there's, there's a bit of a build-up. Now, in part, obviously, that that is the nature of this particular World Cup. The fact that we've just been talking about Copa del Rey games, the fact that it was only Thursday of last week that we were still talking about Real Madrid playing the last of the the La Liga games um, before the break. And so there hasn't been time for a build-up in Mm. quite the same way. Absolutely. Even even things as simple as, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but I think it's only two weeks ago that we found out which channel was showing the games in Spain. Maybe even less. Maybe even less. Yeah. And that's another thing. Not all the games are on free-to-view TV, which is something unthinkable in in the UK where you have BBC and ITV, which show every single game. I think it's only about a third are on free-to-view national TV here. The rest are on a, a special channel... That has been set up for the World Cup, which you which you have to pay for. It's free if you have a certain satellite package, and if you don't, then you've got to pay for it. Which, all right, it's only twenty euros for a lot of games. I understand it's not bad value, but the the concept of having to pay to watch the World Cup is pretty alien to people who were raised in the UK. Yeah, that's that's certainly true, um, and I, I think you're right as well that there's been sort of a slight disengagement with it. My 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 suspicion, and also I would say my my hope. I mean, let, let, you know, taking aside all of those issues that we've talked about with this World Cup, just looking at it from a kind of a Spanish and a football point of view, um, is that once the games start, this will be slightly different. Um, that once the games start, there, there will be engagement, even if it's engagement to criticise Luis Enrique. And I think we saw this <laughs> at the Euros, didn't we? That there was, there was a huge amount of engagement around criticising men. And, and actually, the Euros was a classic demonstration of, of Spain under Luis Enrique. That by the end of it, you're thinking... What exactly is my judgment on this? So they get through the group without being particularly brilliant. Mm-hmm. And you're sort of nervous about them. They have that extraordinary game against Croatia. And they mm. get to the quarterfinals. And that extraordinary game against Croatia is like, well, there was moments when they really could have gone out. But they did go through and it was really exciting. And you sort of think, oh, this is, this is fun. But I'm not sure if they're really, really good or not. 
They get through against Switzerland on penalties. And so they're in the semi-finals now. And this is a really good place to have got to, particularly because bear in mind that Spain had come from three tournaments in a row without winning a single knockout game. Three in a row without winning a knockout game. And so they get to the semi-final game. This is really good, but sort of, is it? You know, there's this, this kind of mad extra time victory against Croatia. There's penalties against Switzerland, who no one's particularly no, but excited hold on. about. But just objectively speaking, getting to the semi-finals is good. Exactly. Well, this is what I mean. This is where the doubt is. So you get to the semi-finals, objectively it's really good, but people think, but is it? And then in the semi-finals, you have a really good performance against Italy. Really good. I think, wow, Spain are good again. But they didn't get to the final. So you have this kind of weird thing where... And, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up in, in these terms is to take it back to where you started, mm. which is where sort of people think, am I engaged with this? Am I not <laughs> engaged with this? Is this my team? Is it not my team? You then get this team that, that kind of does pretty well in the Nations League, beats Italy, gets the final, is very, very unlucky against France, um, then looks like it might not qualify for, for, for the next Euros, but does, but we're not sure if they're really good or not. I think everybody looks at Spain now and thinks, I think they're good, but I'm not 100% sure if they are. Mm. I mean, where are the main doubts, would you say, in the, in the starting 11? Because firstly, there is no fixed starting 11. I mean, there's not even anything close to a fixed starting 11. And Luis Enrique has been quite specific about this, hasn't he? He says the strength is in the group, not in the individual. Yeah. So for him... He doesn't have, this is my strongest 11. That is going to vary. And it's quite possible we see him, you know, play a, a quite a different starting 11 in every game. It's curious, isn't it? Because Luis Enrique is, is, and this again speaks to that idea of we don't know Spain are good or really good or not very good or where exactly they are. Because with Luis Enrique, there is a clarity, I think, about the way they want to play. I think there are some elements of that starting 11 that we're beginning to think we know it now and yet at the same time the midfield three yeah although I'm not even 100% sure about that because yeah, we're the, not two, sure. the two interiores are so young <laughs> that we're not 100% yeah. sure that they will play but it does Pedro feel like it should yeah. be Pedro Gavi and Busquets um, but every game you think there's going to be a surprise in there there's going to be something that tweaks it and yet we're starting to see the forming of, of something more or less clear um, and the squad wasn't hugely surprising. To, I'll give you an example on the squad. Right, I, I have it here in my hand, Philip, the um, the World Soccer Guide for this World Cup, which I wrote the Spain Marvellous. pages for. It's, it's actually really good. You, sh- you should definitely get it. It's a brilliant guide to all of the to all of the countries. The Spain squad, and bear in mind that I wrote this during the last international break, which was what March, but before Spain had played. So, so you weren't sure about those final few places. The twenty six man squad, only three of them are wrong. So the three mm-hmm. that I thought would be in who aren't are Inigo Martinez, mm-hmm. Mikael Oyarzabal, who I knew was a doubt depending on the injury. And there's a question about whether or not he mm-hmm. got fit or not. And the other one was Thiago Alcantara. So the three that mm-hmm. are in who, who, who I hadn't included were Guillermon, but we have him in the in-contention list, Marco Asensio, who maybe is the one big surprise, and Nico Williams, who's a surprise then, but wasn't once he played those two games in March. And so mm-hmm. you sort of look at it and you think, this kind of... There is definitely something there. But as you say, in terms of the doubts, I suppose you look at this and you say, I look at that team and I don't know if there's that one player that makes you think, wow, what a team or wow, what a player. This is the player that makes the difference. Even Pedri, who I think we all think Mm. is brilliant. He's Mm. a kind of a brilliant ball playing midfielder rather than this guy that, you know, he's not an Mbappé, for example, or a Harry Kane, or a Neymar, or a Messi. And I know that not everyone can have those players. 
<laughs> and people will be laughing at me now because I've just put Kane alongside those other three. But, you know, we're talking about genuinely good players who really do make a difference. And maybe Spain lack a little bit of star quality. But I think there's a... I think there's the makings of a pretty good team there. Harry Kane was a top scorer at the last World Cup. Yeah, right? and, exactly. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I say that almost in self-defence as much as anything else. But I think Harry um, Kane is genuinely a special player, yes. Uh, you've mentioned someone there who we've heard very, very little about here in Spain in the last 10 days or so. Tiago Alcantara. I got a message mm. from someone in the UK who works in football who says, how on earth is Thiago not in the squad? Does he not? Mm. Does he not see how much better Liverpool are with him in the in the team? And I said, you know what? He hasn't even really been mentioned here. His absence. No. It was almost a given. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. It, it, it's curious, isn't it? Because I think one of the things I suppose about Thiago is that he's one of those players who maybe you could argue looks better than he is if you see what I mean <laughs> you know, there's something lovely about watching him play the way he conducts mm. himself the way he carries the ball the movement the smoothness of the passing and I think with Luis Enrique we haven't always actually seen the very best of him obviously there's been a lot of injuries as well Luis Enrique I think wants dynamism through that midfield and Thiago perhaps doesn't always have that although I I quite like the idea I personally would have had him in that squad I, I think maybe even ahead of someone like Carlos Soler mm. um I suppose the wild card, if you can call it that in the midfield, or the player that breaks the mould a little bit is Marco Llorente, and that he's slightly different to the others. And I wonder if with Llorente it's partly about versatility, so that you have someone who can play at full-back if needs be and, and allow you to go to three central defenders and, 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 and possibly have someone running up and down the wing. I was slightly doubtful about Koke because he's coming off the back of an injury. Um, but yeah, it, you're right, it does feel like Thiago is not an issue here. And I sort of feel like he should be. Well, when this person said to me, that, you know, what about Tiago? It sort of set off a little alarm in my mind thinking, hold on, no one's even mentioned Tiago. So, yeah, it's, a, it's really quite strange. As we said on the bonus podcast on Friday, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if Spain go out in the group stages or get to the semifinals. Like, you don't know... Yeah. what to expect from this team at all. Well, that, that, as I say, that, let's go back to the Euros. That's the Euros in a nutshell. Yeah. The team that reached the semi-finals could have almost not got out of the group. Although, in fairness, I think not get out of the group was always a slightly overplayed risk because they, I think they were the best team in that group, even if they were on edge a bit more than they, they should have been and even though they didn't take their chances. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Japan, that group is relatively difficult, I think, as well. Yeah, Japan and Japan and Germany are the kind of teams that they are going to struggle to break down. And, I think. And Costa Rica, by the way, nah. I think Costa Rica will be very, nah. very tough. No, nah, physically, they're the lowest physically. ranked team in the competition. Yes, but I think they'll be tough physically. I think they'll be defensive. And you talk about the type of team mm. that Spain has difficulties against. It's true. It's it's, it's a, more about typology than level, if you see what I mean. Yes. Um, and and I look at that and I think. That's the kind of game where it wouldn't be an enormous surprise to me that it finished nil nil. Mm. It wouldn't be. Wow, that that would be that would be catastrophic if they drew nil nil with Costa Rica in the opening game. Hopefully, that will not happen. Uh, we very much are hoping Spain will progress to the latter stages of the competition. Uh, Sydney, are you dependent on Spain's progression as to when you can come home? I honestly don't know. I think so. Yes. Um, <laughs> But in, in, and in previous tournaments, it's it's worked that way. I remember the the when Spain got beaten by France in the first game in ah, the yes. first knockout game in two thousand sixteen. I was on a flight the next morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I came back from Brazil having just done uh, the Netherlands against Mexico in the first knockout round, basically because everything had been prepared because we'd assumed that Spain would be playing that match. Yes. So I went and did that game and then was on a flight home. 
after what's the other tournament? 2018 in 2018's in Russia, wasn't it? Yes. Oh yeah, I was on a flight home the next day after they got knocked out by Russia in, in Moscow. Which was disappointing because I'd only been in Moscow a day, so I didn't really get the chance to see it. Yeah. An incredible city. So, yeah, probably, although the, the linguistic uh, element means that possibly, possibly Uruguay and Argentina might keep me in a bit longer. I would love to think, by the way, mm. that I would follow Uruguay all the way to final and you and me would be quids in and happy as Larry. We've put some money on Uruguay to win at 50 to 1. Um, the more I think about it, the more convinced I am that they're going to win. So maybe I need to stop thinking about it because... Yeah, they're, they're not. They're not. But if they do, it would be very nice. They've got a good team, Sid. They have got a really good, got team. A good team. Um got Araujo will be fit only if they get through the groups, I think. But, you know, at that yeah. point, that's a nice little bonus, wow. isn't it? And, you know, Betancourt's playing well for Spurs. What a player. Fede Valverde. Darwin up front. It's... Oof. Oof. Anyway, I need to. I need to stop it. You've got. I mean, you look at the forwards: da- Darwin, Cavani, Suarez. Yeah. Now, admittedly, Cavani and Suarez are, are of an age now that, that you know they're not what they were. But it's 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 quite nice, isn't That's it? That's why fifty to one, fifty to one. We're interested. I only ever bet once every four <laughs> years, and it's to bet on Uruguay winning the World Cup, and it, it never seems to come off. But there we go. Um, listen, if you could only transport yourself back to nineteen fifty. Yes. Listen, if they get to the final, I'm, I think I'm going to fly to Montevideo. So, you know, spend any potential winnings on an unbelievably expensive flight. And, uh, and anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's never happening. Listen, enough Uruguay chat. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can do so. Please do so, in fact. And we'll answer it on tomorrow's Q&A uh, podcast. We'll have a bonus pod uh, later on in the week. And... We'll keep up the content throughout the World Cup. So uh, stick with us, amigos. It should be interesting. Adios. Cheerio. Network.